All right, everybody. I'm doing a little cardio here at IHP because things got a little late and I couldn't get on my bike, so I'm going to do a little podcast on a topic uh, that uh, was brought up. And it's the anti-whatever topic. Uh, In the mid-1990s, I used, I'm not even going to say that I came up, but I used the anti-sitting phrase to refer to anti-sitting training, which meant any training that put you in the sitting position and got you out of the sitting position, or any training that trained you out of the sitting position. And so we called it anti-training, and at the time, Gary Gray, Vern Gambetta, Michael Clark, myself, we were all using that term as we were on the, uh, you know, on the Perform Better Tour and on the lecture tour. I have that phrase in my functional training uh, book, The Essence of Functional Training, Breaking the Bonds of Traditionalism, and also it was used, I'm sure, by other people. Since then, we have had anti-this and anti-that, anti-rotation, anti-cardio, anti-glycolytic, anti-lactic acid. Man, what's next? You know, anti-air breathing, anti-diet nutrition, anti-training exercise, you know? So my whole thing with the um, anti-movement is there's, there's no such thing, number one. There's no such thing. Anti-rotation doesn't exist. It's a phrase. We called it training the invisible in the 1990s. That was the concept almost that Gary Gray brought forward, which was to train the flexors of the body without flexing the body, such as a standing band press. Training the extensors of the body without extending, such as standing band rows. So all anti-extension, anti-flexion, anti-rotation is, is holding an isometric position that stabilizes another movement. Okay, for example, anti-flexion is a plank because it works on the flexors of the body isometrically. That kind of stuff. So anyways, uh, my friend Pavel Zazzulini now has, I believe, anti-glycolytic. You know, I don't even know what that means to tell you the truth. I've read up a little bit on it. And basically what he's... um, what he is recommending, which I kind of agree with, is not going that hard, especially for fitness and health, because going very hard does, pro- you know, does produce a certain damage. It does produce um, radicals, you know, and but but not that they're bad. I don't think they're bad, especially if the hit training, which he. Uh, is trying to avoid is done in a periodized manner at the appropriate dose and I think what Pavel is talking about and rightfully so and I agree with him on this is that this constant hit training three four days a week as in like CrossFit is not conducive to anything and especially on an ongoing basis all it does is wreck the body and that is true now Let's talk about HIT, okay? Guys, just because you work hard doesn't mean you're doing HIT. 
for you to do hit, you got to get to 85, 90% of your maximum effort, physiological effort, not mental effort. If you're a weak person and you're hitting 40%, 50% of your physiological max, and you think you're at 90, well, illusion or delusion doesn't create a training adaptation. So in order for you to be doing hit, you gotta be banging 85, 90% of your max for a very short period of time. Whether it's 20 seconds, you know, 30 seconds, and you gotta rest maybe a minute, 90 seconds, and bang it again. And do 10 sessions of those 10, 10 sets, that would be a, a hit training, but think about it. You're doing 30 seconds with, let's say, a minute and a half. So you're doing two-minute sets. That's 20 minutes of hit training if you take, for example, an Airdyne or a Versa Climber. That is pretty intense training for a day. You need time to rest. And I would do that kind of training twice a week. I wouldn't even go three times a week. Twice a week for a period of about four weeks and then taper off of that. Because it's not only physiological, it's not only hormonal, you know, it's mental. It's mental, it's neurological. You get tired, mentally tired of it. Now, that type of reasonable HIT training for a specific period of time has been associated with improvements in just about every physiological parameter that you can mention hormonal balance, fat loss, uh, incredible endurance for, uh, for highly intense and repetitive uh, sports such as tennis, soccer, wrestling, etc. You need that kind of training to train for that type of uh, event. But again, you have to look at the dose because it's a dose response. And I think what Pavel is talking about with his anti-glycolytic training is for health, fitness and health. Guys, how fit do you have to be to work around the house, play a little bit of recreational tennis, some golf, maybe step on and off your yacht, boat, you know, uh, have a busy day at the beach, playing a little bit of Kadima, that kind of stuff. Come on. You don't have to prep yourself for four weeks doing 20 sessions of you know 90% metabolic effort on an airdyne or a versa climber to do that you don't need it you don't need it so in that sense he is correct uh, so what I don't agree with and I don't even think he makes this statement is that you don't need that training because if you're a UFC fighter trust me that mild you know exercise till you get a little bit of breathless and then stop and do that and don't go to your hit route you don't have to go to an 80 or 90 if you go to 75 or 80 you're fine do six or seven shots of those a couple of times a week and you can do that forever of course you can't just like saying all right you're a strong person do 20 push-ups every day would you get overtrained no because you could do that it's well under threshold of your capacity but if I say all right do 200 push-ups every day well number one you got to get to the point where you can do that and then if you're doing that once you get there you're not gonna maintain 200 forever you're just not most people would wreck their shoulders probably into the first month of doing that so again is dose response 
I'm with Pavel on his training philosophy in terms of you don't need to crush yourself and do true, true hit training, which is again is 80 to 90 percent of your physiological max, not your mental max, no, your physiological max, and do that, you know, 10 times, 15 times. Some of these people do 20 times in a workout. You do that three times a week, you're going to wreck yourself mentally, neurologically, hormonally, physically. All right, you're not going to do yourself any good. Free radicals are going to be building faster than you can get rid of them, so it's not a good idea. Can you do hit training twice a week, okay, for say 10 hits to get ready for a UFC fight and do that for four or five weeks leading up to the fight? Yes, you can. Not only can you, I say it's mandatory. Now, with a caveat, it's mandatory if you coordinate, coordinate it correctly with what a fighter is doing in his camp. You take some of these guys that are sparring, you know, eight rounds a day, five days a week, like some of the Chinese fighters we work with, there's not a whole lot of hit you can put in there. They're getting quashed. I mean, they're getting killed already. They're getting, mis they're getting abused, mistrained. So you can't add great training to mistraining or training that's not intelligent because you just have a glob of crap. So HIT training, in my opinion, works. The research, I think, is unequivocal. HIT training is one of those things that can be done to, especially the most important thing metabolically that we do is control blood glucose. And there's nothing that will balance out insulin, glucagon, leptin, and ghrelin, balance each other out than HIIT training. It is recommended, just about every research that I've ever read recommends HIIT training for that. HIIT training also has positive influences on your testosterone and growth hormone. But I'm with Pavel, you can't bang that thing three days a week all the time and you don't need to do that for optimal health. You can stay, I tell people, you want to be healthy, walk and eat clean. You'll reach ideal weight and you'll, and you'll last forever. You want to do a little bit of something in the gym? You can be healthy and you can be fit doing minimal stuff in the gym. Okay, you don't have to do functional training, you don't have to do kettlebell training, you don't have to do bodybuilding, you don't have to do any one thing. You can mix it up as long as it's movement, as long as it's big movement, kind of organic movement, you know, standing, three-dimensional, unilateral, right and left, rotation, level change, you know, the four pillars. If you do just mild training every day and watch what you eat, you'll have ideal weight, and you'll be very healthy. Okay, you don't have you don't have to kill yourself. Hit training is not necessary for health and a good level of function. Now, you want to go to the UFC to fight? You better do some hit training. But then again, I'm with Pavel on this. You just can't do it endlessly because you'll end up being burned out. All right. So I hope that this little. Um, you know, this little rant on metabolic stuff helps you to figure out and navigate through the marketing strategies. Anti-glycolytic is a sexy name. So if Pavel wants to name it anti-glycolytic, awesome. There's no such thing. Because ATP glycolysis 
and fatty acid oxidation are three energy systems that work simultaneously. So you're not going to shut down one versus the other. You can't because all three are running simultaneously. Okay? ATP is your energy currency and I don't care what BS you feed anybody. If you want to blink your eye, it's ATP. If you want to run a sprint, it's ATP. That is the only currency the body understands for muscle contraction. Just like you can't show up at Whole Foods with a pound of gold and do groceries, you can't show up with fat or sugar and get contraction. You gotta show up with ATP, okay? So that's number one. Glycolysis is constantly running to replenish ATP. And the fatty acid oxidation is constantly running to slowly replenish whatever muscle glycogen is used. That's an oversimplification of how the energy systems work. When they say something is aerobic, no, it's ATP. What they mean by aerobic is that the ATP is being used up at the rate that the aerobic system is replenishing the glycolytic system, okay? And, which is a very small hose. So if you look at three ponds connected by canals, one huge pond, okay? The biggest pond, that's your fat, okay? Fatty acid oxidation. But there's a very small canal leading to the next pond, which is a medium-sized pond. That's glycolysis, that uses sugar, okay? To go from fat to sugar, it's a slow process, okay? Then from that glycolytic pond, which is medium-sized, and fed through that big pond through a small hose, okay? Now this medium-sized pond feeds this, this pool, okay, with a pretty good-sized canal. And that pool with a limited amount of water is your ATP system. And to that pool, we have a humongous, humongous um, pipe with, with, a, um, you know, with a nozzle, right? And when you open up that nozzle, that pool empties. And it empties quick. It can empty in as fast as six seconds. The entire water in that pool just gets dropped. Boom. Okay, and so that's your ATP. So that medium-sized canal that goes from the medium-sized pond to that small pool, all right, is a medium-sized canal, and that is the rate at which glycolysis will replenish ATP. So that's kind of how you can look at it. I've done this in my seminars, teaching energy systems. Yes, there's things that are exceptions to those rules, with enzymes and whatnot, but that can get very complicated. Okay, we're just looking at ponds. A huge reservoir leading to a medium-sized pond, leading to a pool. Fat stores, glycogen stores, ATP stores. Okay, small canal going from the big pond, the big lake, big reservoir to the medium-sized. Medium-sized canal going from the medium-sized pond to the pool and out of the pool with a huge nozzle. One click of that nozzle and the whole entire pool gets emptied. The problem is after that, there's no more muscle contraction. So now you need this medium-sized canal to bring water from that medium-sized pond to the pool. And as that's doing that pretty fast, 
it's trickling down from that big reservoir to fill up the glycogen stores. So look at that. So when somebody says that's a glycolytic activity or a lactic acid activity, okay, they mean that the energy in the pool is going out at the same rate, okay, that it's that the stores are going from the medium-sized pool to the to the little pool or medium-sized pond to the pool. When you're going there, that's glycolytic. When you hit that nozzle that empties the pool, that's your phosphagen system. That's your ATP. <laughs> Done. Six to ten seconds if you're going all out. All right. So that's that's why there's no such thing as anti-glycolytic. Now, if Pavel wants to use it as a marketing tool, as a catchy title, then beautiful. I got no problems with that. I got no problems with marketing. I have no problems with somebody trying to get an edge on the marketing by saying something that's wow. But you, the audience, personal trainers, have to understand that just like muscle confusion doesn't exist and it's not what we want, well, muscle confusion exists. You want a visual of what muscle confusion is? An epileptic seizure. There's no coordination there. Somebody flapping around in a seizure, all muscles are confused. You don't want to train to confuse the muscles you're always training to educate the muscles and coordinate the muscles because that way, what we call coordination, if you want a more fancier term, neuromuscular efficiency, okay, allows you to express more power with less effort and less energy. It allows you to do more with less, which is the essence of athleticism. It is the essence of functional training and it's the essence of practice. So Tiger Woods hit millions of balls to get educated muscle, not to cause muscle confusion. So that's another marketing term. Anti-rotation doesn't exist. It's more like isometric training. If a certain segment or segments of the body are holding firm and not moving while the chest is pushing or the back is pulling, whatever it is, then if it's causing an extension force vector, then who decelerates the extension vector? The flexor. So that would be flexion without flexion. So that's your anti-whatever. See what I'm saying? So personal trainers understand that with somebody like me, Mike Boyle, Pavel Zazzulini, Gary Gray, Gray Cook come up with fancy little names. We do it really to get your attention, but not because that thing literally, literally exists. It does not. So you can't take marketing literally, okay? As far as research, if I want to confuse somebody, the first thing that I do is I come up with a fancy name to do what? Get your attention. Then I'll pull out selective references which I'm convinced 99% of the people will not read they'll just say see he's telling the truth it's scientifically referenced so I'll pull out references that kind of imply or maybe even study the subject matter but don't necessarily or may not necessarily prove my point but I list them there and that's acceptable in the scientific literature because I've been an editor for the NSCA and that's what they ask of you. 
and I've been a, a, an author for the NSCA, and that's what they ask. If you're inventing something, you're the only reference. They say, reference something else that may imply what you're trying to say. Basically, what they've asked me to do and what they ask authors to do is reference something just to satisfy the scientific reference. Even if it's not exactly what you're talking about, it satisfies that scientific reference peer review serious journal. So what we do if we want to confuse people is we pull two or three, four, five references. So if I'm talking about a 30 second stretch and there's no such thing, I'll pull a one minute stretch, I'll pull a five second stretch, and then I'll make statements about a 30 second stretch. These are just examples. All right, so of course, you can't make no statement, hey, but I'm scientifically referencing it. So I pull scientific references, scientific references of things that are around the subject matter. Then I give the subject matter the spin that I want to give it to prove my point. And then I go off on bullshit, okay, that I did or that I saw or that I read that definitely sells you on the product. So that's the order of confusion and the order of marketing especially in a world like personal trainers that they're always asking for scientific references to things that don't have scientific evidence. Most of the things we do in the gym do not, listen to me, do not have direct, direct scientific evidence. They do not because you can't study directly everything that goes in the gym because you will never be able to repeat the rest periods, the exercise combinations, the frequency of the exercises, the duration of the exercises, the periodization of the exercises, the dose response. You'll never be able to scientifically reference all the permutations of that that goes on. You can scientifically reference that five reps for three sets with maximum weight will give you more strength than three sets of 10 reps with maximum weight. That's been done. But the combination of that with medicine ball throws versus uh, pneumatic accelerometer training with high resistance and stuff like that, you can't study that. You know, there's no scientific evidence of any of that. There's scientific studies done on certain protocols, but those protocols are not the protocols we use. So scientific evidence is pretty much useless. So the first thing I do is get three, four, five, six, seven articles in PubMed on the topic because I know you guys ain't gonna read it. Okay, I'm the idiot that reads this kind of stuff. And I'll tell my interns, pull out the entire article. Because if the abstract doesn't give me the information I want, which is exactly the methods that they use, which is where the devil's in the detail, those are the details that you have to get. Okay, I'll say, pull out the entire article. I wanna see the methods, and all the time, all the time, the methods don't justify what you're saying. So, scientific references, that are loosely connected to the subject matter, then give the subject matter the spin to support my protocols, to support my program, and then give you the testimonials and all the other bullshit that I can make up and invent and, and twist around to sell you a product. You see what I'm saying? So, I'm sorry guys. You know, the scientific references that you're looking for, for the most part, they don't exist. So that's why you don't see me doing too many scientific experiments. Because why? Because there's no way that I can test everything I'm doing. I'm moving way too fast. I'm changing things around too fast. And I can't be held back by scientific reference. 
references. See what I'm saying? So, number one, look out for the anti-anything. Okay, look out for that marketing. Look out for that, for that uh, cool name. TM trademark. R with a circle registered. You know, that don't mean nothing. That doesn't mean anything. That's a $200, you know, fee to trademark something. That's it. It doesn't mean anything. There's no value in a trademark. Unless the trademark is an apple with a piece bitten off of it. Then, then it matters. Until you're there, you have a trademark to some idiot saying and, and nobody's winning behind the idiot saying it's worth nothing. Okay? So be careful with that. Be careful with the cool names. Be careful with things that don't make sense. That is contrary to everything you've heard. And I'm not saying that everything you heard is right, but you have to look at everything you've heard and what's what survived the test of time. What has survived the test of time? Because trust me, it doesn't survive the test of time for no reason. Okay? So does this make sense? Hey, you don't know, I don't know I don't know if it makes sense. So you know what? I'm gonna ask somebody that I trust that will give it to me straight. Might be a friend, it might be a professor. It might be, uh, 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 you know, a, a figure in fitness. Email them. A lot of people email me. As a matter of fact, this podcast came from a question. I believe his name was Iman. Asked me. And the dude's not even a trainer. He's a fitness aficionado. He goes, hey, I was reading about this and this and this. What, you, what do you think? I answered him really, really, uh, you know, comprehensively. And I said, that's a great question. I'm going to turn it into a podcast. And here it is. I was asked the other day, hey by a buddy of mine, JC, about 10 years ago, you did a presentation on the push-up and how it improves running and human locomotion. I forgot about it, man. You had some arrows and some things and some that, and it made it so simple for me to understand. Well, you know what? I couldn't find the presentation because it was 10 years ago. So I went to a presentation that had a push-up position. I took a picture of it and I put 15 million arrows and I put the explanation on it because I took the time to help this guy out and challenge myself as an educator. Are you about what you say you are? Do you help people? Or does your secretary answer your email? So, you know, ask a person that you hold in high regards. Yes, ask a person who's in the limelight, who's at the front. See if they take the time and see if their explanation, if they can explain it in simple terms. When they start throwing, when they start throwing, crazy stuff at you that you can't understand inciting research that's the first that's the first sign that you got to start walking the other way or at least that your ears have to be burning because once they start working with with words that I don't normally use with my daughter with my son that are in the business I'm gonna go okay here comes the bullshit you know if you can't baffle them with information dazzle them with bullshit you know, how is it? If you can't impress them with information, baffle them with bullshit. That's the same. So, and if they start throwing a bunch of scientific references at you, pull them. Take your time, pull them. Pull them. And if you don't understand them, ask another person. You see what I'm saying? So, but don't be caught, guys. Don't be caught with, 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 the, with the marketing thing and with the, the cute names. Okay? When you choose who you're going to learn from, well, who's doing what you want to do? You know, what do you, what do you what guys want to do? Who do you want to learn from? 
You want to learn from a trainer? Then, then go to the best trainer that you can find. You know, a, a trainer that, that trains. And if he, if he teaches and trains, then that's even better. If he tre- teaches and publishes books and, and trains, great. You don't have to publish books, you know. But if he has a gym where he trains and he puts his training systems to the test and he's got a gym for 10, 12, 15, 17, 20 years, the dude's doing something right, you know. He's doing something. I'm not, I'm not telling you he's got the best training, but he's doing something right, okay. So these are the things that you have to, you know, buyer beware and look out type of things. You have to look at stuff and take it at face value. Most of the time it's marketing. If you have questions, ask. Don't fall for the cute names because most of the time there's no substance in there from stop the insanity. Who did we get? Stop the insanity. Okay, Who's, who wanted to stop the insanity? The insane chick that started stop the insanity. Okay, muscle confusion. Who's that? Okay, BS. And on and on and on. They're all fads, guys. They don't withstand the test of time. Learn from somebody who's been doing it for 15, 12, 17 years, has clients, has champions, has has, a, has his life vested or her life vested and ask them and learn from them. All right, so I'm done with my rant. If it's got anti, hmm, buyer beware because there's no anti anything. <laughs> all right, okay guys. I love all the anti people. This is no attack on them. Pavel Zaccellini is an absolute beast. He's a, you know, he's a cool guy. I respect the living daylights out of him. Mike Boyle, same thing. The dude's a giant in our industry, has added a lot of stuff uh, and a lot of great, great information. Of course, you know, Greg Cook. I don't necessarily agree with the FMS, but you can't say that that dude hasn't added. It was a pleasure to present with him at the Perform Better Tours. And uh, I have nothing but love and respect for him, Gary Gray, my guru. I just looked at his 3D map, sent him a 15 page review, and you can ask him, Carlos don't play. A lot of it was positively critical because that's why he sent it to me. And you know what I said when he, when he gave me the big thanks today? He says, JC, I wanna thank you. He wrote me a beautiful letter because of course he's Gary Gray, he does beautiful things. And I said, Gary, I love you so much and I respect you so much. I respect and love you enough. And I went dot, 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 ready? Question mark, wait for it. I love you and respect you enough to be honest with you, you know? And that's what we need. The ability to be honest, critical, positively critical, and not only critique, but critique with suggestions on how you think the, 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 what, what you're being critical of can be made better. Okay, don't come bitching. Come bitching with suggestions. You know, as a matter of fact, don't come bitching. Be honest and then suggest from the, your heart what you think can, can, can make that phrase, that sentence, that program better. Okay? All right, man. Love you guys for your support. I love what I do, baby. I'm 60 years old. 2020 is bringing me back to my second comeback. I love what I do. I love doing this. All right. Good night.